0: What's going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Paul. I have nipples, Greg. You milk me. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, your one and only Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That is you guys. By the fans, that is us. As always, intro and outro music provided by Oceans Over Airplanes. also known submarines. As, also known as submarines, I feel. <laughs> Check them out over at OceansOverAirplanes.com. I think
1: that's a Bond movie thing. Is it? Yeah, there's like an airplane that goes under the water.
0: Oh. We'll have to we'll have to research that and talk yeah. about it next time. Okay. Yeah. Because we do research. Totally. Totally. All the time. So much research. We anyway, don't have real jobs. Anyway, that took us twenty seconds to get on a tangent. Hey Paul. Hey, I don't think that's our record, but it's close. Yeah, probably. So anyway. On this episode, this week, we're going over a few different topics, one being if the roster stays the same, if everything stands pat going into the regular season, who's going to start a point guard? Next, we're going to talk about, segueing in, the Jimmy Butler situation in Minnesota and whether the Suns should try to get involved in a Butler trade, and if so, how. And last but not least, amongst perhaps other tangents... Early returns from training camp. We're recording here on a Tuesday. Training camp day one occurred today. We got a little bit of feedback on how some folks are picking up on the system, and we will give our thoughts, comments, observations on that. Concerns. All of those. All of the above will come into play. All right, Paul. Yes, sir. First things first. Let's assume that the roster stays the same. So everyone's been talking for the past however many weeks about The Suns have to do something at point guard. Something has to happen, especially since Brandon Knight was traded.
1: The assumption was that something was
0: in the pipeline. Right. But two, three weeks, a month later. Training camp has started and nothing has happened. So let's assume, and Butler hasn't been traded yet, so maybe something will happen, but we'll get into that. But let's assume that the roster stays the same. Who is going to start at the one for the Phoenix Suns this year, Paul? My gut is...
1: Weirdly telling me, um, Melton, what? Yeah, I know. Was,
0: Whoa. I know. I didn't, I, I'm not well, gonna lie, I did not see that coming well, at all.
1: I'm gonna explain it, please sim- do a little bit. Just one, Melton and Nakobo are the only two of those four that have guaranteed deals for this year. Sha- Her- Shaq Harrison has a deal, he's got like a $50,000 guarantee. That's basically pocket change to an NBA team. And Cannon is on a training camp deal. He has, does not have a guaranteed deal. If he had a guaranteed deal, I would probably say Cannon. But the Suns have to make roster cuts somewhere. And I can easily see one of those two guys going, Harrison or, um, or Cannon, just depending on how training camp falls out. And if Cannon is the one guy who makes the team, I would I would say it's him. But I can see a scenario where he doesn't make the team, and in that situation, I can. Um, Melton showed out really well during uh, summer league. Not that Akobo didn't either, but Melton he's known for he's expected to be a really good defensive player. He's shown that already in the, from what I've heard um in preview or not previews but roundups from summer league and whatnot he did play very well defensively in summer league which nobody plays good defense in summer league but he graded out pretty well defensively there and i think anything is a pretty decent distributor as well like for all intents and purposes all the guys on the, in that position i would say can is the best distributor but i think there's a I mean, it's a wide-open competition, so I could see any of those guys having that spot, and
0: I can see him maybe coming out with it. Does Melton show some promise? Sure. Is he ready to be a starting NBA point guard? Are any of them, though? It's a fair point, but is he going to ultimately be a point guard as his primary position in the NBA? Well, I mean... If we're looking for a Patrick Beverly type to be
1: the co-member of the backcourt with Booker because Booker's really going to – like the offense is going to flow through him and we need a guy who can bring up the ball, initiate the offense to allow Booker to kind of do his thing, run a fast break, play solid defense to be able to cover for Booker, and hit a three, assuming he he hits – three of those four right now and assuming he can develop a three-point shot he's I mean Beverly was a second round pick if not undrafted I can't remember he's basically he could be the next generation Patrick Beverly so if that's what we're looking for we might as well just insert him
0: my gut tells me that it's going to be Shaq Harrison just based on the roster makeup based on the fact that Isaiah Cannon missed a ton of time with that injury. And while he's back and available, who knows what kind of shape he's going to be in when the season, when the regular season rolls around, if he's still on the roster. Right. My preference would be to frankly, let Koba jump in there as a starter. I mean, the Suns took him with the first pick of the second round. They gave him a guaranteed deal. he, would have projected or w- could have been projected higher if he wasn't intent on wanting to come over immediately. Right. Uh, and ultimately, we've seen the stats that he put up over in the French League, and that's professional basketball. That's a different level than what D'Anthony Melton played. And keep in mind, Melty didn't play last, last year at all. Right. So he's played, what, five games in the past 12 months? We're talking competitive right. basketball. Right. And and if you're bringing in, <coughs> excuse me, Kobo, to presumably be at some point in the future, either the starting point guard of the Suns for the long term or at least a serviceable backup, then why not give him the opportunity? Now, the reason I say that I think it's going to be Shaq Harrison is because he's got familiarity with the team already. He showed well during summer league and has that defensive capability that you're referring to with with melton and again i look at the concept of bringing young players along a little bit slower letting him acclimate and him being a kobo acclimate himself to the nba game acclimate himself to living in the united states and maybe it makes a little sense to 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 bring him along slowly i think the cautious move for the Suns, knowing that Frankly, whoever they end up starting isn't going to be the end all, be all. He's not going to be this huge difference maker. You're not having Steve Nash come in. You're not having right. Jason Kidd come in. You're not having Kevin Johnson, Brandon Knight come in. This even. is true. Eric
1: Bledsoe. You know, you, you
0: may as well take the cautious approach. Let him get himself used to the NBA, used to the speed of the game over here in the states. And not to not to you know denigrate French basketball, but right. that's not the n b a so i you know i I would prefer that it be a kobo. I just don't know that the suns are going to pull that trigger now that being said, McDonough has obviously spoken very highly of a kobo and it's going to depend on what goes on during training camp, how it looks in preseason and whatnot. but we're stuck right now with really a kind of a hodgepodge rotation of potential ones right and and I, I'll caveat all of this conversation with: we're assuming that it's not going to be Booker, because right. it could be Booker. And I, I was actually about to bring that up
1: because I mean, what happens if during training camp, let's say a comment, let's say Bridges is in there playing the two slot, and he's really showing out, he's really showing something at that two spot, and but at the same time, you have Ariza and and Anderson also showing out. What's to stop um, Koshkov from starting Booker at the one, Bridges, Areza, Anderson, and then Aiton at the five? Because
0: then you got, you've got four shooters. Like you can't. That's our four best shooters. Hold on. So you're just you're just throwing Bridges in front of both Jackson and Warren for starting minutes. In, in, in a situation where you're, I'm expecting
1: the Suns to want to play a lot of four out. With Aiton down low and just spreading with, like, every guy is a threat. Right now, Jackson hasn't proven he's a threat. Warren is a threat from, like, 20 feet. He just really can't get that extra foot for whatever damn reason. He can't get that extra foot, even in the corners. But supposedly he's been working on that. But we know Bridges is a threat from college. Anderson and Ariza and Booker have obviously proven it in the league that they're threats from three. So if you really want to play a four-out lineup, that's your lineup. Granted, that may, doesn't need to be the starting lineup, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see that lineup. A, oh sure, like a good chunk of minutes. But I mean, at the same time, or, or I mean, I could see a lineup of you know Bridges and Jackson at the two three. That I think that could work pretty well. Bridges Jackson Warren could be interesting. There's a lot
0: of lineups that could be interesting, but I'll save that for later. So then, all of that being said. If you if were I was the coach. Igor Kakoshkov, who would be starting at the one for you? And if it's Booker, who would be starting at the two?
1: I would start Booker at the two because his playmaking is a secondary skill. I don't need that to be his primary skill. Sure. So with that, I would probably, if, if I was in control of the team, based on the four guys we've got right there, I'd probably start Cannon. If I was in charge, just because I, he's the best distributor of the group, he's familiar with a lot of the guys in that lineup. Uh, at least half the team, because he he of those four guys, he has the most starts in the NBA. Cause sure, because Harrison only started two games. Cannon was the starter. Like he he's the reason Mike James got bounced.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you think it's going to be d melton right but if it were up to you it'd be canon it would be canon i'll still disagree with you thinking that it's going to be d anthony melton maybe i'll be wrong but i i know it's a long it's a long shot to be honest i just are you backtracking
1: now i'm not backtracking no i just i can see the. Should we start over it.
0: in retrospect maybe i was wrong in about that let me retrospect. let me go back Rewind, restart. I mean, cause, I
1: mean, even just from the standpoint of the Suns had an opportunity to draft Anthony Melton, and they chose to draft a Kobo. Mm-hmm. Just from that standpoint, there's a a Kobo's already got a check in a box of hey, we like him be more than we like him. Granted, what actually happens on the court can really change his opinions. Well, I mean, and if you look at it again.
0: A-, a Cobo slipped down a bit because of, you know, his position in terms of wanting to come over to the NBA mm-hmm. and what, and, and well, other I mean, teams not being willing.
1: Because he didn't play. I mean, if he had played another year, like he was, he, like, he graded out with a lot of guys. Cause I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about the Suns and like their off season, and whatnot. And he was like, he's a guy, uh, the guy was, I wish I remember his name. I did not prep for this at all. Um, our standard MO Um, He was just talking – he literally watched every single Summer League game. If he couldn't watch it live, he, like, watched the tape of it and, like, graded out every guy and – he's a big draft guy. He had a Kobo and Melton on his draft board pre-Summer League, pre-draft, at 17 and 18. Like, basically, these are the two guys. After the lottery's done, these are my next two guys to be drafted. I mean, I guess – my biggest fear is we're repeating the Bender Chris scenario. Granted, these guys are both second round picks, so the yeah. the uh, the buy in is a lot lower. But we may be instead of putting all our eggs in one basket and being like, okay, we're gonna ride with you. We're gonna you are the you are the chosen diamond in the rough that we hope think we found. We're like, oh no, we're we're hedging our bets with this other diamond in the rough and hoping that one of you develops when, in actuality, by putting that situation in place, we are hindering the development of both of you.
0: That that segues right into what's going on with Jimmy Butler up in Minnesota right now. Yeah,
1: that's a shit show.
0: At least we can say (laughs) this offseason, the Suns front office has not been the most obnoxiously ridiculous front office in the NBA. We've done some head-scratching things. Right, but there hasn't been an overtly public dispute amongst the GM slash coach and the owner of the team. No, like we just had that been. last year, right? That's what I said this <laughs> this off season. Totally, this is a different world right now, Paul. We're talking about a different world. I know. So we, we have positive buzz, positive po- podcast of optimism, my I friend. That. So unless you're Ben Golliver. Um, <laughs> let's not let's not let's not go down that path. We'll we'll save that for Twitter. Um, <laughs> So, Jimmy Butler obviously wants out of Minnesota. Cat wants Jimmy Butler out of Minnesota. Pretty much everybody,
1: involved, wants with, Butler yeah, out everybody out of involved with the
0: Minnesota franchise, save for Tom Thibodeau, wants Butler out of Minnesota because he wants to recreate the Chicago Bulls there. Him. And Todd, well, yeah. And that, probably Derrick Rose. Right, yeah. Actually, we'll, no, didn't Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose not get along on the Bulls? I, I don't know. I think
1: they didn't get along on the Bulls.
0: Let's go with that. We'll We'll, we'll go with that. Um Butler demanded a trade, named his three top teams as the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Nets. Am I getting that right? That's right, right? Yeah. Um yeah, today he wanted, it's He, he, come he up,
1: wanted a major market, but he didn't want to play with play with LeBron, which tells you something.
0: LeBron's a douche? Yes. <laughs> is that what it is? is that just me interjecting my own thoughts in this situation? Is that what's happening right here? Um Today, apparently, word circulated the Heat are making a push to get him. I saw a report online saying Sacramento's interested in becoming a third team that could get involved with that, which leads into the question, should the Suns get involved? And I think we've probably I all gotten a, to the point where we're thinking the Suns shouldn't get involved if it means trying to get Jimmy Butler. We don't need any more wings. We don't need Jimmy Butler on this Well. I shouldn't say we don't need Jimmy Butler on this team, but long-term goal, it's not going to help the Suns. Right. So, should the Suns try to throw their hats in the ring as a third team to help facilitate a trade? And if if so, how should they do so?
1: So, first off, I wanted to real quick just address the point of should the Suns actually try to get Jimmy Butler. I just wanted to make the point that at a certain point, the Suns do need to push their chips in. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't just
0: do it to do it though. No, you can't just if, do it to if, do it. If they've waited this long, this <laughs> isn't the time to finally be like, ah, forget it. We're gonna go ahead and just do it.
1: No, right. No. But anyways, um, how? So the question was, how should the Suns get involved? Should they, and if so, how? I think they should because a, a lot of the teams that are involved have point guards that the Suns have been considered targeting for that potential starter role, whether it's Tyus Jones on the Minnesota Timberwolves, whether it's um, either Patrick Beverly or Milos Teodosic on the Clippers, whether it is um, Spencer Dinwiddie over on the Nets, or in the right situation, maybe even D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I doubt, I doubt he'd come available. I think the, the Nets are very, very high on him, much higher than they are on Dinwiddie. So I think Dinwiddie would be the one who would be more available. Or who's on the Knicks?
0: I don't even Frank Nicolina? Know. I don't think this the
1: Knicks are ready to give up on him.
0: I'd agree with you.
1: Granted, granted, if 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 you can, if the Timberwolves could somehow turn it into a bidding war between those three teams, because those are the teams that Butler has said he would sign an extension with, their risk is lower. Mm-hmm that they'd be giving up a lot of assets for no, for one year of Jimmy Butler. So there could be a possibility that can, Frankie Nicotine, because I can't say his name, could be part of a trade. And in Minnesota's current situation, they have two point guards already in place between Jeff Teague and um, Tyus Jones. Jones. So they may not want to take him on, but... Shifting around some salary we do have Darrell Arthur's contract that could be thrown in there that is just a one year waivable contract. Um, we have other players if they really want a player we have Troy Daniels is available um, if if this if it got big enough and the player we were getting like maybe even a Frank uh, Frankie smoke situation would be big enough to warrant including Jimmy Butler in the deal. Depending on what's coming back from New York, if the the Suns were getting um, Frank and Knicks were getting Jimmy Butler, T.J. Warren's not a bad consolation prize to go to Minnesota to kind of fill that small forward role. Sure. And that's completely forgetting about the Heat, who have been a late comer into this situation and apparently are pretty aggressive about it. Mm -hmm. And they have some point guard, at least a point guard who the Suns are very familiar with on the roster. Who's that? I don't know. Another dragon? Oh, Two-headed Zor- dragons? Zor- Zor- Zoran Dragic? Is that Zoran Dragic, yes.
0: So your conclusion is? Who who should they go for? Yeah, I mean, it, it, let's put it like this. If Let's assume the Suns are a third team in that trade. What's the most likely guy that they land out of that situation? How about that?
1: Most likely, guy they'd land out of the yeah, situation. Yeah, what's the
0: most realistic possibility in terms of the Suns getting involved in the Jimmy Butler trade and ending up with a point guard that presumably is a better suited point guard to be starting for this team than the guys we went through and discussed earlier in this episode?
1: The most realistic situation is probably the Clippers mm-hmm. that the Suns would definitely come out with a be able to come out with a point guard because the Clippers have like Clippers have like four. I mean, the Suns have four, but the Clippers have two that, like, actually could warrant starters minutes. Plus, they have, plus they're looking to move on to, like, they have um, Shy Gilders-Alexander, mm-hmm. and I think they have another guy that they drafted so, who's also a point guard. or I can't remember. I know they got, like, four guys, and they want to be moving on to those younger guys, so moving one of the older guys makes sense. Which one it is, I don't know, but... Either one of those guys would work well for the Suns for different reasons. Teodosic would really help push that energy and get that ball moving in the in Igor's offense. Mm-hmm. Patrick Beverly could help secure the defense. I mean, if you'd make those two guys
0: one player, he'd oh, be Chris Paul. He'd be beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the Suns have to make a run, obviously, at getting involved in this trade. And this trade's going to happen. It has to happen has at some happen. point. Um, I'm frankly surprised that it hasn't happened yet, considering training camps are starting and whatnot. I, but I think I'm not surprised that
1: because Thibodeau loves Jimmy Butler. He doesn't want him to leave. Like if Thibodeau had his drawers, I think he would trade Cat to keep Butler.
0: Possibly, but but that's at a certain point you can't really rely on that, and you have to accept the fate that is inevitable. And try to get your best return on investment, right? Right.
1: I'm. I'm just. I'm just saying that, in the situation of assuming it's central to beef between Butler and Cat, Thibodeau would prefer to move Cat, but the owner's smart enough to be like, no, he's actually the future of our team, mm-hmm. not this other guy.
0: Yeah, and I. I mean, I think the Suns have to make a run again at getting involved. Do I think it's actually going to happen? I'm hesitant to say yeah dubious at best to say that it will just because while the lottery balls fell in the sun's favor the sun's got deandre um and things seem to be trending in a positive direction i i i don't i just i just just have this feeling that it's not going to happen the sun's aren't going to be involved in this and i'm not in the short run, in the short term, is that better for the Suns? No, but in the long run, you know, maybe that opens something up further down the line as we get closer to the trade deadline and certain teams are wanting to unload guys. Keeps an opportunity open for the next off season when we've got guys like Kemba who are going to be free agents. Um, you know, Rozier. If, Rozier. If the Suns don't get involved, it's not the end of the world, right? If they can and it's reasonable, mm-hmm. then sure, but. You have to also consider what the Suns would have to possibly give up to get into that. Obviously, we have a glut at wing. Mm-hmm. TJ Warren gets involved. In that, fine. If you're saying it's Josh Jackson, then it depends on who you're getting back. But I'm not exactly going to be as quick to jump on the bandwagon and say, "Yeah, that's a move that the Suns have to make." Right, and why are the Suns the ones who
1: are putting in like one of the best pieces in the trade? Right,
0: right, and and to help out another team get. G- Get Jimmy Butler right, and that being said, at the same time, Brian McDonough's kind of got to make something happen. You know, he's he's approaching that make or break point. We've said it before on this podcast, and I'm sure we'll say it again. But this is now his team. He doesn't have the excuse of we had a near playoff hit that put the rebuild back a couple of years. Right. He has had he's- three years in a row of multiple lottery picks. Right and and it's it's getting to the make it or break it point for him.
1: Yeah, I mean his contract only runs through next season.
0: Right. So so he very well could be a little desperate and might might push in too much, but we'll see. Uh, if I had a gun to my head, if I had money on the line, I would say that what we're seeing with this Suns lineup right now, with this roster. Is what we're gonna have going into the season. Now that's not to say a trade's not going to happen at some point, but I'm I'm just not optimistic that the Suns are going to be getting involved in any butler trade. Right. And plus you have other teams like the Kings who have assets so they can trade as well, have you know the the potential of allowing other teams to free up cap space, they might be able to Trump, whatever the Suns might offer, which is why, again, going back to the whole concept of Jackson being involved makes me a little concerned that maybe McDonough will push in a little harder than you would expect him to push in in a trade like this.
1: I would not be surprised if the opposite has currently been true of like – because the Suns don't really have leverage mm-hmm. in this situation. It's – they clearly have a hole at this position. It's clearly a position of need that they're trying to fill. And the teams they're talking to are just like, You're gonna have to blow us out of the water to get this guy who we kinda don't need, but it doesn't mean we're gonna get rid of him. And the McDonough's like gun shy to put in that like too much. I hope so. So do I. But at the same point, I mean there's there's a level of over overpay that I would find acceptable. And I'm afraid that he's not even willing to go that far.
0: Well, what 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 what's that level? Well, okay. Here's an example. Okay. Oh, okay. So
1: let's say we go back to the Jimmy Butler trade and the idea, and the Suns get involved in that, and the player, the Suns going out the door is T.J. Warren coming in the door is Tyus Jones. That's it. Is that an over? That's essentially an overpay.
0: That would be an overpay, but it alleviates. The glut of wings and gets a serviceable player in return. Right. I, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be psyched about that idea. I wouldn't exactly like be trading in my son's fan card and being right. like I'm out.
1: And I mean, I guess like the other question, the other concern I have about like Tyus, like of the point guards that are on the market that are possible trade targets, like Tyus Jones is probably the lowest one on my list,
0: mm-hmm. just
1: because. He's not much less of a question mark than the guys we already have on the team. He's—I mean—he's been playing the league for a couple years, but he's basically been at a backup role. I think like would he average something like seven points and like three assists or something?
0: He averaged five point one points and two point eight assists last season.
1: Right. So I mean, th- there's potential there that he could be a starter but he hasn't proved it in any way like any of those other guys that are on
0: that list i mean so why not just stand pat
1: right mm. that's fair. to an extent or like or make sure you're really going for one of those other guys who like is a guaranteed starter because that's what they need just bring bring in another guy to compete as part of a competition
0: doesn't make sense not entirely. when you already have kind of an overloaded competition of guys who are at least, presumably, on a somewhat same right. level.
1: Whereas, whereas to flip that, like if it is a trade with the Clippers, which is why I think being able to pull the most likely scenario would be getting a point guard from the Clippers, because the 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 Timberwolves don't want another point guard. They've got a starter. They've got and like supposedly Andrew Wiggins can do some. Playmaking as well, and they've got a solid backup in Jones, and they've got Derrick Rose. Whatever he has left, mm-hmm. granted, granted, Thibodeau will probably play him over Tyus Jones and right. give him uh, time. Where, but <coughs> the pieces that the Clippers would want to move, at least one, they'd want to include one of those point cards in there just to get off them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Suns can come in and get that guy. Is like. Okay, we're going to take this guy. We'll give you Troy Jen, Troy Daniels or and a second-round pick.
0: Sure. Okay. Okay, so we're going to add a little bit to this episode because since we finished recording, it came out that Jimmy Butler's preferred location in terms of trade is the Miami Heat. And Woj tweeted out today that, and I quote, Phoenix's pursuit of a starting point guard could factor into the Jimmy Butler trade discussions as a potential third-team partner, league sources tell ESPN. If Minnesota trades for Goran Dragic in a Miami-slash-Butler scenario, that could make Wolves point guard Jeff Teague available for the Suns. And that's quite significant because, well, A, Miami wasn't really, well, it wasn't at all in that first wave of teams that Jimmy Butler had indicated were his preferred destinations. I think Paul, you said that he came up maybe in a little second wave of potential teams. Um, Yeah.
1: I can't remember the other teams that were up there, but definitely I do remember the heat was part of that list. So it seems more, it seems more like maybe the um, overtures to the original three teams weren't uh, received as well or just, like, the communication between the Wolves. It, like, just, they had nothing to offer that the Wolves were even interested in, so that um, group expanded, and now um, the Miami Heat, who are a team who are pretty averse to rebuilding, and they're kind of getting close to a time where they'd probably need to rebuild, um, are seeing this as an opportunity to do, like, you know, a reload instead. Right. So they Pat Riley's pushing pretty hard. So, you know, he's getting to the end of his career um with in the NBA and I think he wants to get like one more kind of potential contender under his belt.
0: Sure, and that makes sense. And ultimately, you know, you look look at it from the heat perspective, it makes a lot of sense because Drogic is 32. He's going mm-hmm. to a season where after this year. He's going to have a player option for $19.2 million, and even assuming he takes that, he's kind of getting to that point where he's not going to get another big contract. If they can move on, free up some cap space, whether it be through trading him away or ultimately him leaving the team, might as well free up that cap space immediately and bring in a guy who is a young superstar in the NBA like Jimmy Butler – try to attract other teams. And I mean, from my perspective, I look at this and I see we look at the other guys who have come up in terms of potential point guards who the Suns might land when, when you're talking about the initial three teams that Jimmy Butler indicated he wanted to go to. And we talked about it before. You've got Beverly. You've got Dinwiddie. You've got Tyus Jones. You've got Emilos Tesadozic. Tesadov- 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 Desadov- Teague Tidosic Jesus Jeez. Anyway um Teague, from my perspective and and he's he's you know he's 30 years old as well so he's a little bit up there in 30 30 chicken Yeah 30 31 he's 30 i think um he's he's up there in age but he's shown more production over his career as a whole than any of those other four guys that have come up in discussions. I mean, if you look at his per 36 over over the scope of his career versus the scope of the careers of those other guys, points, he is the highest number of points. Assists, he's the highest per 36 assists. His shooting percentages are right up there with a guy like Teodosic who is a good shooter uh and and he's a he's a you know a career 36 percent three-point shooter on top of that
1: what are his what are his steals like
0: uh his per 36 steals one in 1.6 per game or ex- i should bad. say 1.6 per 36 not, and it, that is better than dosich right there with patrick beverly better than dinwiddie and below tyus jones but of course He has a smaller sample size even when you extrapolate it out over the per 36. And I think the biggest thing that comes into play is you're talking about a guy in Jeff Teague who has played 670 NBA games and has started 535 of them. What the Suns are looking for right now in a potential trade is a starting caliber point guard. He has started – The majority of the games he's played in the NBA, you look at Patrick Beverly, who is the next closest. Now, he started what I'm going to assume. I haven't crunched these numbers, but is a higher percentage Mm -hmm. in terms of percentage of games started. But he still is only at 251 games started and 302 games played. That being said, he also has some health concerns. Patrick Beverly has never played a season where he played more than 71 games. And the next season, uh, in terms of the most games he played is 67. Then after that, you get into the 50s, then you get to the 40s, and then you get last year where he played 11 games. When you start talking about the number of games these guys have actually started in the NBA, the next highest number is Spencer Dinwiddie, who has only started 77 of his 185 then you've got Tyus Jones who started 11 of his 179 and Teodosic who started 36 of his 45. So if you want somebody that's going to come into this team and have starting experience Jeff T above get and beyond better. yeah above and beyond is is the guy. And and ultimately look at the worst case scenario. You know, let's say the Suns trade away and we'll talk about this, whoever they might trade away to land a guy like Jeff Teague. Again, he had – I shouldn't say again because I don't think I mentioned this yet. (laughs) talked about the other guys. But he has a player option next year as well for $19 bucks. If he accepts it, then so be it. You have a starting caliber point guard who is NBA ready, who is proven in the NBA, who is going to contribute to the development of the rest of this roster – if he declines it, then there's $19 million bucks that is freed up under the cap that presumably – I mean I'm, I'll, I'll assume that maybe at least one of the contracts that goes out in this trade is something that wouldn't be on the books next year. But you can assume that at least not all of the contracts that go out in this trade would be off the books next year. So you're getting some additional cap runs. What do you think, Paul?
1: Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty intrigued by it. I mean, I was looking at his stats and I think he would fit in nicely with the team and kind of play that role really that what they need. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just because I didn't think about the idea of the, uh, wolves looking to, you know, move on from Teague and, um, maybe advance Tyus Jones or whatnot to the star role or, um, in the case of this possibility of of obtaining Dragic in his place. Um, So I didn't really think of him as as that available. I mean, I knew he was, I mean, he was just, he's just a piece for Minnesota. I mean, I, you know, he was a star, all-star a couple years back um, with that very, I don't know if I want to call it fluky, but very unique Hawks team that didn't really have a star star, but like just one a ton. And I don't think it was, it was more management issues that they chose to like, um, disassemble that team and, and just kind of look to go to rebuild instead of, um, trying to ride that out for much longer than they did. Um, so then he moved on, he, uh, spent, spent a little time with the Pacers, which I really don't remember. And, um, isn't now with has now been with Minnesota for the last uh, season or so. And I think, I mean, yeah, it sounds like they're looking to possibly move on from him too. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. It's just, it's not the right situation. And I think the Suns could be a very good situation for him in that the offense would be, it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice, it's a motion offense that is very similar to what they ran in Atlanta back in the heyday of that, that group. So, and he also wouldn't, whereas also on that group, on that team, he was one of the primary, um, offensive talents. He was one of the primary scores. That's why he didn't make an all-star team. That wouldn't be his responsibility on the Suns. I mean, yes, he would be, his responsibility would be to make that, make sure that the offense moves the way you are, wants it to move. Mm-hmm. Um, You know where, and Booker and Aiton and and some of the other guys would be those dedicated scorers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Um, let me let me just tell you this: his stat line from last year, Teague's, fourteen point two points per game, seven assists per game. He shot thirty seven percent from three point range. And he shot forty six and a half percent overall. That's what the Suns need. Like they exactly. need somebody that can be a distributor. And 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 that's the thing. Like we took we look at all these other point guards. We're not looking for somebody that's going to be a you know a twenty and ten guy, because we continue right. to discuss how Booker's playmaking ability is improving. And that's going to pick up some of that slack. But if you get a guy that can bring in this type of playmaking ability this 14 and 7 right this type of ability to control the offense and the ability to to get 14 and 7 right that's 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 beautiful right that's beautiful
1: exactly exactly and he knows how to play team defense i mean he's not like individually the greatest defender in the world but he's not a giant like sieve when it comes to defense so that doesn't hurt
0: either right and 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 looking also just at the you know the advanced stats when we, we start talking about assist percentage he has the highest assist percentage of any of the other guys that have come up in terms of potential he's going to have the highest stats except probably
1: some defensive stats where which are all not not completely reliable just cuz they we haven't figured out how to properly quantify defense yet of any of the other guys available I think that's pretty I I would expect that to be pretty true. I mean there may be some advanced stats which weirdly somebody else does better, but I think he'd pro- he's probably going to be on if not the top one, top two or three. He's not going to I don't expect to see him at the bottom of many of those.
0: Right, and I'm I'm looking at the you know the conglomerate stats from their career. So obviously, what I'm seeing is his you know defensive win win shares are higher than everybody else, but as a whole, his his um, win shares uh, per 48 is the highest amongst the group. So I mean, ultimately, and you know his his value over a replacement player highest amongst the group. You're looking at a guy who, if this is something that the Suns can swing. It's really the best case scenario that I see based on what's been reported out there, what's potentially available out there that the Suns can, you know, come out of this with with then which then leads into the question. Two parts. A, what do you think the Suns would have to give up to get Teague as a trade in this scenario? And what would you be willing for the sons to give up to get Teague in this scenario?
1: Um, I don't think to answer the second one first, I don't think I'd be willing to give up much more than probably like Warren and Darrell Arthur. Um, maybe like a second round pick or something. If we have to like shuffle some of those around for whatever reason, um, but at the same time, I think the Suns are in a position leverage wise that they should be the ones being paid to help facilitate the trade beyond just getting Teague. It's like they're the ones who should get like you know like a second round pick. I mean, Miami, you know, if the if you're trading Jimmy Butler and the centerpiece of the return package is Goran Dragic, probably gonna have to throw in a first round pick. Mm-hmm. That pick shouldn't come from the Suns. That should be a Miami pick. So, granted, I don't even know what year that would be based on, you know, the 2021 uh, pick is with Philly right now. But um, there's going to have to be more coming in in beyond because I I look at the piece and I look at Jeff T and I look at TJ Warren and Darrell Arthur as a bit of a wash in the sense that like it gets them off some money in the short term. Plus it provides them with a guy who can score a reasonable amount. Like who's also like
0: six years younger.
1: Right. Exactly. And on a very reasonable $12 million contract that could easily be moved again if they want to move it. So I kind of look at that as a wash, particularly, particularly since, from a Minnesota's leverage standpoint, if they're wanting to bring in Drogic, they have to get rid of Teague. I, I technically, technically they don't because they're losing. You know, they could run a two point guard system. Yeah, with like with um, Wiggins moving to the to the three, and then I don't even know who their four is, and then Cat at the five. But if they want to move on from having two. You know, starting caliber point cards, You you know, you're wanting to push him out because you're bringing somebody else in. You kind of got to pay to push him out a little bit, and that's where the Suns can take advantage of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you'd look at it like. Pat Riley, since again, Butler didn't name Miami as one of his top three teams initially, is making a hard push. And obviously, now that Butler is starting to change his tune, that to me indicates that there's been some behind the scenes talk and Riley's trying to sell him on this and Riley wants to get him. So you have to recognize that there's a, I won't necessarily go as far as saying desperation, but there's a strong intent that he wants to get him. And if my or excuse me, if Minnesota hasn't already made a, te- a a deal with one of the top 3 teams that Butler initially identified, that indicates to me that those 3 teams aren't bringing something to the table that is, you know, creating any traction with them. So ultimately Minnesota has to get rid of Butler at some point. They have to get something back, otherwise they run the risk of. I mean, maybe he's going to come up with some serious injury like Kawhi Leonard did last year. Otherwise, they just run the risk of him sitting out and then jetting, and they get nothing. Um, which obviously right. happened with I the mean, San, D- San Antonio situation. But there, there, there's there's a leverage point here for the Suns, and you know, for for the faults that we've identified with McDonough over the years and the issues that he's created on his own he's shown a propensity Mm. to be able to get the most out of a bad situation now what we see here is him walking into what should be a good situation in terms of the sons having some ability to try to dictate what happens with this trade and what happens with this scenario and if he can translate what he's been able to create out of bad situations that he's
1: brought, brought upon new. himself
0: into creating something wonderful for the sons in a good situation for them. Now is the time for him to, to show it. And again, we go back to what we said a number of times. McDee's at a make or break point. This is a great opportunity for him to make something. Right.
1: But at the same time, I mean, I can, so supposedly, um, the the Suns did call about Jimmy Butler and whatever the asking price was, it was exorbitantly too high. And then I guess conversations evolved and suppose, and I guess Teague was brought up or according to Gambo, I think Gambo said that the Suns have not directly spoken to um, the, um, the Wolves about Teague. So I guess I'm a little confused on the conflicting reports there because I mean, yeah, it's entirely possible the Suns haven't spoken to the Wolves about Teague, but I don't usually see Woj going into conjecture. Right. So it's kind of weird that he brought up Teague as the possibility without some type of, you know, at least intrigue on the Suns' part as with regards to the type of player that sure. they're looking to bring in. Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we can agree on the fact that if the Suns can somehow do what we've been thinking they were going to do for the past multiple weeks and do what we've thought they would be doing once Butler started demanding a trade and ended up walking out of that with Jeff Teague, beautiful. I don't hate it. All right, well, let's move on. Yeah, let's talk more direct suns. Okay, more direct sons. So day one of training camp was today. Yeah. Um, the immediate returns and this was uh, in referenced in an article by uh, Evan Sidery over on Brightside, uh, specifically discussing Aiton and how he looked in day one. The initial returns are great, which is fantastic. But it's also day one of training camp. And it's camp, also day right. one of training camp, sure. But uh, Evan mentioned that Aiton's teammates were gushing about how fast he's picking up concepts already. The Suns are really looking like they're kind of developing this, you know, four out type of mentality. And DeAndre Ayton is the kind of guy that you expect to be able to draw the defense down low, whether it be through a post-up, whether it be through a pick and roll, and allow those outside guys to have an open shot, as long as... If he has the ball in his hands, he can make the right decision as to who to go to. Uh, Evan brought up a good point that Aiton so far is in a situation that he wasn't really used to at U of A. And that, that's because you saw so often Aiton and Ristic, Ristich both playing together. And those are two guys that are going to be necessarily down low well right. Ayton, I think and both of them to a certain extent could step out a little bit but the way that offense flowed it was those guys were down low and that was just clogging everything up down there U of A didn't have the type of three-point shooters that you know the Suns' offenses or his Suns roster is designed to have this 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 season uh, and he also was very positive in his comments in terms of what Aiton's been able to pick up so far in in camp and that's one thing that we, we talked about about how important this camp is for the Suns because it's a brand new offense. Right. You have to get these guys integrated. They have to, uh, and there was an article today on Arizona Central or ArizonaSports.com talking about how this camp is important because these players need to learn how to react in the offense as opposed to having to think about what the right move is. Right, uh, And if DeAndre Ayton's picking things up quick, then that's just going to help Everybody else, because, again, if if we're looking at a one-low, four-out type of situation, he's the key guy, kind right, of. Right, yeah.
1: And, I mean, it's a situation, particularly the, those comments coming from Anderson. This is a guy who played with Dwight Howard in his prime mm-hmm. and
0: played with a young Anthony Davis. And if I may interject really quickly, he referenced exactly that. Right. How it was similar to having Davis and Howard and how they would be able to— Uh, effectuate that type of offense
1: right and so I mean that's I think that's what McDonough and Igor and whatnot were envisioning when they decided to go with Aiton over some of the other guys who were available everybody who was literally everybody who was available not just some of them all all of of them them. (laughs) but you know back to I don't want to you know bring back to the Luka Doncic debate at all that's over and done with
0: who's probably now. starting at the
1: four for the yeah. Mavericks. Well, I mean, when you look at their lineup, that kind of makes sense a little bit. Which is, I mean, it's that's interesting that Dirk is like, Yeah, I'm just gonna be bench guy now. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it made the way a- Dirk has like managed his career is like is more unique than Duncan. I would almost
0: say, I, I think Dirk's done a great job of treating the organization well just like the organization has treated him well you know he they've kept him on the team and kudos to mark cuban i love i love mark cuban if i was an nba owner i would be mark cuban and i'm talking like crazy mark cuban back when he was sitting by the bench all the time like that and and his teams are winning so his antics weren't that outlandish like robert sarver's antics sometimes get when his teams aren't winning but he he's treated Dirk as Dirk should be treated over the past few years, as all partner. while Dirk's been starting to decline right. in his in his abilities.
1: Right. I mean, I'd avoid like some of the behind the scenes stuff that's apparently. Sure. Yeah. That <laughs> I
0: would. I would have a little more a little more oversight in that regard. But uh, as as far as the public eye goes, I I, I and the basketball team relationship. Sure.
1: But yeah, back to what we were talking about. Back to the point. Um, Aiden is the crux of what they want to do offensively. Booker is the star. Aiden's the focal point to an extent of like if you're running four out, you got to have a guy down low who can,
0: who draws attention. Right, yeah. If, 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 if he's not skilled enough to draw that attention, then that system's not going to work. That's, right. that's a perfect point. And, I mean, from what what we hear, and hopefully it's true, his skills
1: actually extend beyond that limited role. Mm -hmm. But um, it'll be interesting to see, particularly being that he's he's a rookie, it's, you know, we want to keep it simple for him, as simple as possible because so much is being thrown at him. Mm -hmm. You know, and there was, um, I think the Ringer did an article on DeAndre Ayton a while back where they were basically talking about is he going to be Carl Anthony Towns or is he going to be Clint Capella? And they made the argument that he should be Clint Capella rather than Carl Anthony Towns because Clint Capella is better for the team. And I think he can be somewhere in the middle there because I think the difference is, in this case, is maybe from, from a defensive standpoint, and it seems like he's trying to pick up the defense defensive stuff and maybe because he's basically played out of position in college and he just really wasn't a four, but you move him to the five and it just kind of clicks a little bit. But even but from an offensive standpoint, he has to be a threat that Capella isn't Mm -hmm. to make the offense that the Suns want to run work. I mean, it may not run through him per se. I mean, Booker's going to create it. Whoever's the point guard is going to create it. But
0: teams need to gravitate towards him. nonetheless. He, He
1: needs to have gravity that they can't just ignore him down low. Because he can just work guys over if he's, like, single teamed.
0: I, I think he's the perfect guy to have in this system. And I'm saying that not based on the feedback we're getting from day one of training camp. I'm saying that based on what I believe he can turn into. And the right pieces around him, the right development of those players around him, and I think the Suns, again, have a very bright future. hmm I mean, again, I'll say again one more time. Again, we're, we're where we want to be right now. Right. In terms of Booker's here, Booker's locked up. We got the number one pick. We're putting guys, presumably, putting guys around those two guys that are going to help effectuate a system that a new hired coach who everyone was very positive about uh they're going to play into that system that he wants to put in place and i'm getting and now i'm getting even more excited about the suns notwithstanding Mm -hmm. the point guard situation uh I, i i just think that the suns are finally at that point where here we go let's do it here it is i mean this is what the team is this is what the team's moving towards and you know what If it blows up, then we're back where we started and we're in for another eight long years, Suns fans. But I'm very confident that it's not going to turn out that way. Now, is this season going to be... This season's not going to be be some huge breakout year where everything's going to be great. People are going to bitch about it. Suns aren't going to win a whole lot of games still. But they have the pieces in place. And with the class of next year's free agency and hopefully those types of guys who across the league we've talked about how Booker is very well respected right as as a more future so than superstar is
1: in media circles
0: right yeah like but i don't hear a lot more. of people talking I don't, I don't hear i don't hear like kd and folks talking about donovan mitchell all that much um, but booker has reaped praise from a lot of those types of guys and hopefully that plays some role into where the suns can go next offseason and we're just able to build on what has been being built over the past few years and what we now hope is finally coming to fruition. Right. Now that's happening while the West seems to get stronger and stronger. But, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, going to have to do what we can do with it. The Suns are going to
1: try to win. And if you look at the record that they had last year before Booker got injured, before they got... And I think a lot of the injuries that like, the Suns had last year... Were they held the guys out for precautionary purposes. If they were on another team that was actually winning, they would have played. Mm-hmm. So I think the Suns could have easily gotten into the low to mid-30s and wins, but Booker was out so much. They had Tyson Chandler out. Warren was out as long as he was with that mystery head thing. Um, Those guys were weren't there, and if we can have a healthy season this year, I feel like the team has improved so I don't see why even in a stronger west the Suns can't get into the mid 30s which I would find successful. It wouldn't be they wouldn't be, I don't think, I think they'd be just outside the window to compete for a playoff spot but they're in the window to compete for the window to the playoff spot.
0: Right. No, I got gotcha. you. And then
1: next year would really be the year that hopefully won whatever hopefully that improvement shows to one of those bigger time free agents like, hey, this is a situation where I got a bunch, a bunch of guys who are going to build and grow. I'm not catching these guys at their peak, and then I'm going to join to watch them crumble around me. It's I'm going to join, and they're going to grow into me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, let's 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 look at it in comparison to the 76ers and what they've done. Right. You know, they went from in 15, 16, winning 10 games to the following year, winning 28 games to the following year, winning 52 games. Now, are the Suns going to make a jump to 52? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But they're progressing, hopefully, in that direction. You you alluded but sometimes to sometimes those jumps are like way bigger than you expected. Like be. the we talked about last time, the 0-5 Suns. Yeah, uh, you you alluded to earlier during the Nash era when it was this is the year we're going to win the title. I feel like now it's this is the year we're going to win more games. Yeah, and that's that's step one. And then maybe next year it's okay we're going to make a strong push for the playoffs. But again, time will tell. This is officially McDonough's team. This is McDonough's roster. Right. And the make it or break it time starts this season. Yeah. If they come out and win 15, 17, 20 games next year, okay. It's a problem. Barring any significant injuries. Right. But if the roster is intact, people are healthy, and that's what they come up with, then maybe we can start to be, be a little bit concerned. Um, but this is this is a building year. The following year, I think, is the year when we start saying, "Okay, this is right or this is wrong." You can find us on Twitter. I'm at So Says Jay and Paul at Dervish of World, and the podcast is at Fan the Flames NBA. As always, thank you very much for listening. And depending on when you're listening, have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening.
1: How'd you get the beans above the Frank? It's just